Welcome to Book Me, Conversations with Writers, sponsored by Nimbus Publishing and Arts Nova Scotia. Today, our host, Costas Halabrezos, will be speaking with Steve Vernon. From courtroom dramas on TV, you're probably familiar with The Hostile Witness, the person on the stand who seems determined to frustrate an attorney asking questions to get to the truth. Now, I hope Steve Vernon doesn't consider me a hostile interviewer because I must admit from the outset that I don't believe in ghosts. But I'm always happy to suspend my disbelief and enjoy a good ghostly story. Now, Steve's most recent book has plenty of that. It's called Where the Ghosts Are, a guide to Nova Scotia's spookiest places. Welcome to Book Me. Happy to be here, Costas. Now, you actually put coordinates at the beginning of each story to help true believers track these places down around Nova Scotia. Aside from the so-called paranormal investigators, do you know of many people who seek out ghostly places like on their on the weekends or on their vacation uh there's there's maybe not that regularly but there are quite a few people who they're looking for a bed and breakfast with a story behind it they're looking for a restaurant with a story behind it uh ghost stories are for 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 that sort of landscape it it's it's almost like uh, like wallpaper you know it colors things up it makes it more interesting uh, if I'm going to sell you an old antique, if it's got a story behind it, that makes it more attractive to you. Yeah, I think it was sometimes, sometime back in the 80s that I got a sense you couldn't open a bed and breakfast without uh, hinting in your brochure, I guess in those days before the internet, that guests might encounter a ghost during their stay. So it is a selling point. It is, it is. I, I, I'm not sure why, but uh, people are <laughs> fascinated with the, the unknown. Now, you went out to interview people who claim they've had encounters with ghosts, Tell us about Sid the bartender at the White Point Beach Resort and, and which ghost he encountered. Well, Sid the bartender, uh, he, he was several one of several people that I talked to at the White Point. White Point Lodge had asked me to come out and tell ghost stories for Halloween event. So uh, they encouraged me to uh, to talk to some of the employees. You always have to ask permission. I mean, they're on the job. I don't want to, you know, be uh, pestering them, as it were. But I don't know if the new uh, lodge that was built after the fire uh, makes as much of the ghost stories as the old lodge did. But it, it was a big selling point for people who were looking to book a room sort of thing. So they encouraged it. And Sid just had a great story. What happened to Sid? Well, the ghost itself, her name was Ivy, and she was supposed to be uh, the wife of one of the uh, – she was the wife of one of the mucky mucks. <laughs> and uh, she was a bit of a control freak. She liked things done just so. She could tell you exactly to what coordinate you ought to lay that dessert spoon, the, the fish fork, right. the, 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 the different knives. Uh, I wish my wife was here. She used to be a Red Seal chef and she could get me you know, the proper terminology. But <laughs> she was very fussy about the way things looked. The place setting. Right. Yeah. So uh, when she passed on, her ghost has, has been rumored to haunt that place, especially the dining room, you know. And, and Sid's story was that he was, he was filling in for a waiter and he was setting things up and he'd been given a crash course and he missed one 
particular spoon. And when he f- realized it, you know, and it was, it, was, it was too late, the lights went out. <laughs> and when the lights came back on, that missing spoon at every setting was there except for one spoon which flew straight through the air and cracked him right on the forehead. <laughs> he pointed to a spot as, as if he expected me to be able to see a bump. <laughs> see a dent. <laughs> <laughs> but fellows will do that, you know. So I've been injured. You have to understand. I'm, I'm, I, you have to feel sorry for me now. <laughs> so he thinks Ivy threw the spoon at him. Yeah, but not maliciously. Just to sort of leave a, like you might tie a, a string around your finger to remember, she left a little mark there to remember. And he's done proper place settings ever since. No, I don't think he's ever filled in for a, a waiter ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Some people with a sense of mischief play on people's gullibility about uh, ghosts. Can you tell us the story of the Parker Road Phantom of oh, Berwick, I, Nova I, Scotia? I love that one. Uh, the Parker Road Phantom... It is basically it's a story of five young boys who who let, let, let me read you just just the first paragraph here. Uh, the whole thing started out in the year 1969 while the Beatles were making their very last public appearance. France was revving up their brand new supersonic Concorde jet, and every young man of legal age was dreaming about owning a brand new racing striped Pontiac Firebird Trans Am muscle car when five young Berwick boys decided to get up to some mischief. It started out as just an innocent prank. They wanted to scare their grandparents. So they, they got their grandfather's long coat, a great big long coat from the, the World War One. And and they they draped that over one of the, the little fella. There was five of them. They draped it over the little fella's shoulders, and then the biggest of the five let the little fella sit on top of his shoulders. Now the little right. fella had a stolen long nylon pulled over his face to give it a nice sort of ghostly appearance. <laughs> he had uh, this old stocking cap, this watch cap. Mm-hmm. And, and and by all reports it, it smelled like, like a tin full of moldy sardines sort of thing. It was it was it had been sitting in the barn for a very long time, but they pulled it down because they didn't want to be recognized. Yeah, yeah. And they strolled past the uh, the upper window to the kitchen, right when the grandmother was washing the dishes and she dropped one of her favorite plates and they, they, that, that that was a tremendous impact, you know. They they were yes, we did good. So he, he, really put he, he probably looked like this this person was seven or eight feet seven tall, eight I guess. Seven or eight feet tall, exactly. Yeah, this long coat hanging So, there. so they, they, they began to, to follow through, and every foggy night they'd go out and they'd do it again. And they'd have a couple of the fellows would keep watch, and another fellow would wait by the barn door just in case they had to make a run for it, and they'd go up <laughs> and down Parker Road. And... Then people started to talk about it, and the next thing you know, the whole thing had gone viral. The story was in the This is pre-internet. Pre-internet, <laughs> yeah. it went viral. The, the only thing that went viral back then was the measles. <laughs> but Toronto Star, I, I don't even know if they called it the Toronto Star. I think it was the Toronto Star back in 1969. Yes. was still called the Star. Uh, they had a great big story on it. There was a story in, in one of the Vancouver uh, uh, newspapers, mm-hmm. and it was picked up and, and carried, you know. Uh, through the wire services, Through the wire I service. Imagine. Thank you, sir. <laughs> and each time, 
the monster got bigger. He's nine feet. He's seventeen feet. He's twenty feet tall, and he's leaping buildings like Superman. You know, and uh, you can still find books about Bigfoot and cryptozoologic monsters, mythical monsters, uh, where they talk about the Parker Road Phantom, and they describe him as being fifteen, twenty feet tall. But the boys since have come clean. They came clean shortly afterwards. Uh, a couple of fellas from Morristown drove down with shotguns. They figured they were going to bag it. <laughs> and when it when things got serious, then they decided you know, they, they felt They better bad. fess up. Yeah, they fessed up. And it happened to be just shortly before the, the, the big uh, parade that they put on every year in Berwick. I don't know if they still do or not. But they, they put them right on top of the town float in their – a Parker Road Phantom costume, you know, and everybody <laughs> cheered and everybody waved, you know. But they've never talked about it since. They've just left. It. There was never a traction issued. Yes. So that the the legend, you know, in certain circles still lives on. So in a way, some folklore has been created. Exactly. Take- that's, that's, that's how folklore is created. That's yeah. how ghost stories are created. Quite often, you're going to find that people tell scary stories just to keep young folk away from certain areas. Where I grew up, there was an old farm horse, farm horse, an old farmhouse. <laughs> Let's correct that. That it, it was rotten, you know. But it was it was attractive. It was deep in the woods and looked mysterious, and you know you could sneak in there and get up to no good. So stories were circulated about this old ghost that would haunt this place and to stay away from that place. They called it Joe Lone's Place. And it was just a story that was started to hopefully keep kids from messing around in there, stepping on the rotten floorboards, breaking their leg or going through in the basement and, you know, dying sure. of a, a exposure sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, it was just stories to keep folks aware. Mm-hmm. Many of uh, these stories come from, from generations of oral tradition. Do you ever worry that when you put some of these stories in print, you might stop a ghost story from evolving the way they tend to do as they're passed on from generation to generation? No, no, that that will never happen. Just because even when you sit down and read one of my stories, you know, you'll fold up the book, you'll put it on the shelf, you know, or you donate it to the Salvation Army or whatever. And uh, one night you'll be sitting down and you'll start talking about this story. And the way that you remember it isn't going to be the way that I wrote it down. Stories evolve. It's just like that old telephone game where people would, one person would whisper into somebody's ear at a party and it's, they'd whisper to somebody else. And at the end of whispering to 20 pairs of ears, the story would be completely different. <laughs> Barely recognizable. <laughs> uh, just like folk music, there are recurring themes in ghost stories. And one, one is tragic loss. And, and there are all kinds of examples of that in, in your book, Where the Ghosts Are. But I'll bet there are some people who don't know the ghost associated with one of the most visited locations in Nova Scotia, Peggy's Cove. Uh, that's right. There, there's a, a, a lady in, in blue. Now, most of the, the ghostly women... In Nova Scotia, I, I came across about a dozen different cases of a woman in white. But the ghost of Peggy, or actually her name was Margaret, it wears blue, uh, gingham blue. Yeah, and, and she's been seen walking around the rocks. She, she was washed ashore from a shipwreck. Yeah, and, and she's been seen walking around the, the, the rock. And she was raised there. 
And uh, f- for a long time, she was kind of shy. She was kind of reserved because she felt like sh- she was what folks call in the maritime. She was come come from away, you know, because they didn't know where she'd come from. She couldn't tell them anything. She w- she'd been a child when they pulled her ashore, sort of thing. So she 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 grew up and uh, she she fell in love with this one fella, and he 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 took his time courting her. He almost kind of tiptoed up on her, you know, because she was still, she was still skittish. Mm-hmm. She was very skittish, and he had been sort of goofing around trying to make her laugh by by uh, dancing on the rocks. And you know how all those signs say "stay off the That's black right. rocks, stay off the." Sl-. Well, he he, there hadn't been any signs back then, and he fell in, and he was carried off you know, by by the water, by the ocean waves. And um, her ghost, still looking for him, still haunts those rocks. She mourns him uh, continuously. In Blue Gingham. In Blue Gingham. I was surprised uh, to find out that one of the stories you've told in this book has actually inspired a Celtic rock song. Yeah, the the Stanfields. Yep. They're, They're a heck of a band, you know. High energy. I've, I've, I've never caught them live, but I'd love to sit down over a table full of cold beer and just, you know, stomp along with it. With it. <laughs> I'm going to start stomping and uh, scatter the sound equipment here. But they contacted me one day, and they had read a story that was included in Haunted Harbors about the, the Heidi Hinder. The Heidi Hinder. The Heidi Hinder in Dagger Woods. Basically, it's it's a critter that sort of sneaks up behind you. <laughs> And you'll hear it coming up behind you. It's a creep, creep, creep. Just the way you hear footsteps crunching in the woods. Yes. But he, he, he follows you so closely that when you turn to get a look at him, he turns with you. Now, the ghost of Dagger Woods was, was originally supposed to be a, a, a Scottish creature, uh, a sort of a, a ghostly a phantom, and they never really described it. So I had read this uh, other story uh, from farther part of, of, of Nova Scotia about this Heidi Hinder. And I said, I bet you it's, it's a Heidi Hinder, you know. And I explained that in uh, Haunted Harbors when I, when I wrote the book. I, you know, uh, in that story, I, the, the first couple paragraphs, I said, look, you know, I'm kind of gluing two legends together here just to make a good story, just because I can't get the facts behind this story behind Dagger Woods, what <laughs> is really haunting it. So mm-hmm. I, I, I created this uh, sort of Heidi Hinder, put him right there, and um, the, the lead singer from the Stanfields read this, the book and read the story, and he was so taken by it that he decided to create uh, the Heidi Hinder as a folk rock tune. Yeah. And, and it's, 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 it's a ripping good tune. <laughs> it yeah. is. I've heard it. I, I, yeah, I, I, I recommend hunting up the, the, I guess they sell them on CDs. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or I, download now. Download, yeah. yeah. I'm prehistoric, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Is there an outside chance that that particular ghost story might have come to Nova Scotia from Scotland? Um what came from Scotland was was um, it was more almost like a, a, a more of a goblin mm-hmm. type creature. The Heidi Hinder was more Appalachian, but the folks in the Appalachians, most of them came from the Highlands, you know, from Scotland, from Ireland. You know, they they they, they even their, their music. Mm-hmm. You know, you can almost hear the bagpipes. It's something that should have happened, or could have happened, or possibly. 
Yeah, but the, but they've created it and and it's evolved and the the story has continued to grow. There's another uh, ghostly apparition that people in all three maritime provinces have claimed to see because of its location in the Northumberland Strait, uh, and it inspired a song too. I'm thinking of Lenny Gallant's Tales of the Phantom Ship. Tales of the Phantom Ship. I'd forgotten it was Lenny Glant saying that. I, I, I knew the song. He, as yeah. soon as he started, I could hear it in the back of my head. And I'm not going to try to sing it because <laughs> I'd, I'd this uh, microphone. But uh, uh, yes, uh, people see it to, to this day. I have not come across a ghost story that spreads across such a wide stretch of geography. I mean, they see it. You know, all up and down the coast, they've seen it in P- on the coast of PEI. It's it's basically that that the Northumberland Strait, right between Prince Edward Island and Nova Scotia. Yeah, and and that phantom ship, that fiery phantom ship, has been seen up and down. And there, there's several different uh, origins behind it, but basically, people aren't sure what it is. But it was even a couple of, just, a, just a couple of years ago, a young fellow reported seeing it. I believe it was off of Picto. Yeah, he, he, he saw it coming in. Now, historically, what is there behind that story of a, of a ship aflame out there? There was supposed to be a slaver ship that went down in flames. There was also supposed to be a pirate ship that went down in flames. When you think about the creosote and the tar and the, and the, and, and the wood and, the, and the, the cotton sails, you know, it, a burning ship just wasn't that astounding. It was common. It could happen. You know, it was one of those things. You could get sunk in a, a storm. You know, you could run over rocks and, and, you know, get your ship and just, you know, go underneath the waves sort of thing. Or you could ship ship could burn down, especially in times of war, you know, it, it was often happened. Now, now this, you know, um, was an historical event, let's mm-hmm. say, but sometimes when this enters folklore and people talk about seeing these apparitions, mm-hmm. other people come up and try to give an explanation, a scientific explanation of how this might appear out there. Mm-hmm. There's some yeah. kind of mirage. It's, 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 it's a mirage supposed to de- deal with the reflection of distant trees, which look like ship masts, and, and the, sh- the sun as it's going down right at, at, right at sunset, you know, and, mm-hmm. and as it, especially when it's a, a red sun. Yeah, and they they've gone to to great lengths to uh, say that they, they you know there's a quite logical explanation. See, you have to understand when when I released my first collection, Haunted Harbors, Nimbus asked me if I would call myself a ghost hunter. They said we we will sell many more books this way, <laughs> you know, if if you have that. And I said no, no, I I'm not a ghost hunter. I'm a storyteller. You know, I am that old feller that you're going to see standing by the campfire. Say, come here and give a listen. You know, and that's what I, I, I like. I like the ghost stories, you know, and to sit around and try to pretend whether it's true or whether it's false. You know, it's it's a heck of a story. And you should just let the imagination and the sense of possibility carry you away sort of thing. And, and don't try to dissect it with facts. Yeah. About how many times a year might you go out and, and tell stories to, to people, these ghost stories? As, as often as possible. <laughs> Being a, a writer in Nova Scotia, I, I have a day job. <laughs> you know, uh, 
Nova Scotia writers, you have to have some sort of a, a fallback just to pay the bills. So, you know, I, I am uh, manacled just by the time uh, time limitations. You know, people say, will you come here? Will you come there? I say, well, you know, if, if I'm going on a tour, to, to I, I have to take vacation time. You know, now in a few years' time, I'm going to be old enough. I know that surprised you, but I'll be old enough to retire. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look in the bathroom mirror and I said, you look 40, man. You know? <laughs> My wife humors me. You're seeing ghostly apparitions of yourself as you used to be. <laughs> that makes me think about uh, one of the chapters in in your book, uh, looking in the mirror. You know, you you see yourself as being much younger. Oscar Wilde, who wrote the portrait of of Dorian Gray, and and uh, he he remains forever young, but there's a portrait that's that's aging up in the attic. Now, Oscar Wilde. Uh, touched down in several maritime cities, including Halifax, but he left Halifax with a ghost. That's correct. Yes, he he came and he put on uh, several talks, and basically he was doing just what I do. He he would go and make public appearances and talk to people. He 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 actually wasn't that well received because people wanted to hear him talking about ghost stories and such, and he wanted to talk about things that were a little bit more uh, artistic. But he spent his he spent his lodgings at uh, the Waverly Inn, and since then his ghost has been seen haunting the the halls of the, the Waverly Inn. One room in particular, he's he's been seen, and and he'll walk out of a wall apparently, and then step back into the shadows and just sort of vanish, almost like a puff of smoke. Sometimes and, and a very dapper ghost too. I understand. Yes, he, as you he might wears a, a great robe. And he, and he was a showy sort of fellow. He he always had a fancy robe or a fancy jacket. He was a he was a bit of a toff. He was a he was a dapper gent, and he he liked to dress extravagantly. He liked to dress as if he were on stage. Sorry, wearing crushed velvet like you are today. Exactly <laughs> so. <laughs> we can get away with that in the podcast. Exactly so. We so will know yeah. better. Steve, thank you very much for coming in. I had a good time. Appreciate that, sir. Storyteller Steve Vernon is the author of Maritime Murder, Halifax Haunts, and The Lunenburg Werewolf, and other stories from the supernatural. His most recent book is Where the Ghosts Are, a guide to Nova Scotia's spookiest places. Book Me is sponsored by Nimbus Publishing. It's produced by Robin Grant and technical director Lynn Fox. Personally knows the ghost in the machine. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Now, let's go read. Let's go read.